So here we are in the last chapter of Nehemiah, Nehemiah 13. Nehemiah's various reforms. On that same day, as the book of Moses was being read to the people, the passage was found that said no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be permitted to enter the assembly of God. For they had not provided the Israelites with food and water in the wilderness. <laughs> oh, man, that. Y'all remember that? Go back and read Exodus. God didn't forget. Instead, they hired Balaam to curse them, though our God turned the curse into a blessing. Yeah, that was a really good story. The Balaam and the whole donkey situation. Balak, Balaam, and the donkey. Verse 3, when this passage of the law was read, all those of foreign descent were immediately excluded from the assembly. Be gone. Verse 4, before this had happened, Eliashib, the priest who had been appointed as supervisor of the storerooms of the temple of our God, and who was also a relative of Tobiah, had converted a large storage room and placed it at Tobiah's disposal. The room had previously been used for storing the grain offerings, the frankincense, various articles for the temple, and the tithes of grain new wine and olive oil, which were prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, as well as the offerings for the priests. I was not in Jerusalem at that time, for I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign, though I later asked his permission to return. When I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned about Eliashib's evil deed in providing Tobiah with their room in the courtyards of the temple of God. Uh-oh. I became very upset and threw all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room. Then I demanded that the rooms be purified, and I brought back the articles of God for God's temple, the grain offerings, and the frankincense. I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food, so they and the singers who were to conduct the worship services had all returned to work their fields, I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded, why has the temple of God been neglected? Don't sound good. He said, I'll leave for, I'll just leave for a couple days. Come back to this mess. Why has the temple of God been neglected? And then I called all the Levites back again and restored them to their proper duties. And once more, all the people of Judah began bringing their tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the temple storerooms. I assigned supervisors for the storerooms. Shelemiah, the priest, Zadok, the scribe, and Padaeus, one of the Levites, and I appointed Hanan, son of Zachar, and grandson of Madaniah as their assistant. These men had an excellent reputation, and it was their job to make honest distributions to their fellow Levites. Remember this good deed, O oh my God, and do not forget all that I have faithfully done for the temple of my God in his services. Verse 15. Those sound like those, I'm those are the words of Nehemiah.
I love that it said these men had an excellent reputation and it was their job to make honest distributions to their fellow Levites. Verse 15, in those days I saw men of Judah treading out their wine presses on the Sabbath. They were, don't sound good. They were also bringing in grain, loading it on donkeys and bringing their wine, grapes, figs and all sorts of produce to Jerusalem to sell on the Sabbath. Saul rebuked them for selling their produce on that day. Some men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise. They were selling it on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and in Jerusalem at that time. At that Hold on, let me back it up. They were selling it on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and in Jerusalem at that. So I confronted the nobles of Judah. Why are you profaning the Sabbath in this evil way? I asked, wasn't it just this sort of thing that your ancestors did that caused our God to bring all this trouble upon us in our city? Now you are bringing even more wrath upon Israel by permitting the Sabbath to be desecrated in this way. This would definitely be a huge defense that people would have for why you should still keep the Sabbath. Verse 19. Then I commanded that the gates of Jerusalem should be shut as darkness fell every Friday evening, not to be opened until the Sabbath ended. I sent some of my own servants to guard the gates so that no merchandise could be brought in on that Sabbath day. The merchants and tradesmen with a variety of wares camped outside Jerusalem once or twice, but I spoke sharply to them and said, What are you doing out here, camping around the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. And that was the last time they came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and to guard the gates in order to preserve the holiness of the Sabbath. Remember this good deed also, O oh my God. Have compassion on me according to your great and unfailing love. That's also Nehemiah. Continue to pray. Say, like, hey, hey, God, don't forget about me. It's time for me to enter them pearly gates. He won't have to worry about God saying, depart from me. I never knew you. He won't have to worry about them words. Verse 23, about the same time, I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Surprise, surprise. Furthermore, half their children spoke the language of Ashdod or of some other people and could not speak the language of Judah at all. So I confronted them and called down curses on them. Ooh. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people of the, of the land. Mm. This, this is the most serious offense, it seemed like, intermarrying with other people. Nehemiah was no joke. He beat them up and pulled their hair out. Could you imagine if the prophets of today did that to people that were just out here blatantly sinning? They just walked up to folks, pulled their hair out, and beat them. Wow. Verse 26. Wasn't this exactly what led King Solomon of Israel into sin? I demanded. There was no king from any nation who could compare to him. And God loved him and made him king over all Israel. 
but even he was led into sin by his foreign wives. How could you even think of committing this sinful deed and acting unfaithfully toward God by marrying foreign women? They're like, but Nehemiah, they're, they're so fine, they're so fine. I couldn't help myself. I wonder what Nehemiah looked like. I imagine most of these prophets were short. I wonder if like any of them were like six foot three, and tall, dark, and handsome. Because it's real easy to turn down beautiful women when you don't have a lot of them looking at you like that. Like you five foot two and ain't nobody trying to talk to you. It's a little bit, a lot easier to be a prophet. I'm just saying. When I think about these dudes, like apparently Paul was like really short. Apostle Paul. Yes, I I wish I could like I don't know something we'll see in eternity in heaven just what these dudes look like maybe I don't know. All right, verse twenty eight. One of the sons of Joida, son of Eliashib, the high priest, had married a daughter of Sanballat the Horonite. That don't even sound like a good name. So I banished him from my presence. Be gone. Remember them, O oh my God, for they have defiled the priesthood and the solemn vows of the priests and Levites. So I purged out everything foreign and assigned tasks to the priests and Levites, making certain that each knew his work. I also made sure that the supply of wood from the, for the altar and the first portions of the harvest were brought at the proper times. Remember this in my favor, O oh my God. And... That is the end of Nehemiah. Well, Nehemiah definitely was no joke. He was a serious fella. Serious fella. He took the things of God very seriously. <clears throat> so, seems like a more in-your-face type prophet. Didn't sugarcoat anything. All right. Next, we get to talk about Esther, get to the book of Esther. It's really cool because I was reading in my book, Destiny Thieves, by Sandy Freed. I highly recommend checking it out. But the whole story of Esther is brought up. And I had, and my counselor said this, but she said it as well, where Esther is the only book of the Bible where God's name is not mentioned through the entire book. Like, it didn't say God at all, a capital G-O-D. So, as we read through the book of Esther, I'm going to be looking to see if I can, if the name of God's name, like, if he's mentioned at all in there. I'm going to look, see how right they are. I'm pretty sure they're right, but I'm going to be looking. If anything... His name might not be specifically mentioned, but his fingerprints are all through that entire book. So his power and his power of redemption power is written all through there. So looking forward to Esther is one of my favorite books of the Bible. All right, I'm going to probably knock out just like, I don't know, we'll see. I need to get another cup of tea and that will determine how much of Esther we get through. So. I'll be back.
Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned or missed the mark or veered off the path and fallen short of the glory of God or God's perfect standard. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of the cost of that sin is death or eternal separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5a says, But God demonstrated his love toward us or showed his love toward us in that while we were still yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Romans 10 verse 9 through 10 says that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will, not might be, not maybe, we will be saved. For with our hearts we believe we are now in right standing with God and with our mouths we confess that we are now saved. Lastly, Romans 10 verse 13 says that whosoever, anybody, everybody, who calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So if you never asked Jesus into your heart or you've walked away from him and you would like to rededicate your life to him, you can just simply say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin deserves to be punished. I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God who died for me and rose from the grave. I want to turn from my sin and trust Jesus Christ alone as my savior. Thank you for the forgiveness and everlasting life I can now have through faith in Jesus. In Jesus' mighty precious name I pray. Amen.